Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. The live edition of the Patriots Beat podcast right here on the CLNS Media Network. It is Brian Hines from Pat's Pulpit, joined as always by Alex Barth from 98.5, the Sports Hub, to get back into this Patriots coaching staff, GM, or lack there of GM, and, and talk about all the stuff that's going on around the team right now because it was a pretty crazy weekend. There were bullets getting fired from all these sides. There were a ton of reports. Looks like we have some makings of Gerard Mayo putting this coaching staff together with some of these interviews and and then a lot of reports uh, about the GM or again lack their uh, GM that might be coming in here with Gerard Mayo. But uh, let's start with some of this more concrete stuff along the coaching staff because Gerard Mayo had his first interview scheduled here with Panthers linebackers coach Tem Lukaba, L- L- or you know how to say it? I think it's Lukabu, right? Lukabu. Lukabu. So uh, Panthers outside linebackers coach, they scheduled an interview here for defensive coordinator, the Patriots defensive coordinator position. He has some New England ties. He was the Boston College defensive coordinator for uh, from 2020 to 2022 before he went down to Carolina last year. I believe he also worked at URI early in his career. And he kind of came up under uh, Greg Schiano, who, as we all know, is a, a close friend of Bill Belichick. So no direct Patriot ties, but some ties to the region, similar coaching style. But he also got some different experience under these defensive minds like Lou Anaramo and Cincinnati, Robert Sala and San Francisco. So a guy who's pretty experienced, pretty well-traveled and coming in here to interview for this defensive coordinator spot. Yeah, interesting candidate. Like you said, he's he's coached under a lot of uh, notable defensive coaches and guys from different systems, guys with different philosophies. So, you know, comes in with a, a really diverse background. You look at Carolina last year, obviously disappointing season as a whole, but if they did have one bright spot, it was kind of that linebacker room with, Brian, well, Brian Burns, like hybrid defensive end linebacker, but you figure he worked with him at least a little bit. A guy like Frankie Louvu, uh, Yeter Gross Matos. So definitely a guy with an interesting resume. I, I've said in the past that I would love to see them keep continuity on the defensive side of the ball. And whether that's Steven Belichick, who Albert Breer reported the team extended an offer to to come back, which I would imagine is for the defensive coordinator position. Yeah. I don't see how he comes back in any other role. Uh, whether it's Steven Belichick or whether it's Demarcus Covington, I would love to see them keep some continuity at house, the defense coordinator spot. Now, if it is Steve or if Steve goes elsewhere, you need new linebackers coach. And maybe this is a, a, a situation where you talk to Lakabu. He's not your DC, but let's be honest. Carolina's getting a new coaching staff. He's probably, he doesn't know what his job security is. Maybe he comes and he's the new linebackers coach under Mayo and Belichick or Mayo and Covington. That's kind of what I look at an interview like this is, is potentially setting up for. Kind of like that whole offensive coordinator search from last year, where they're well, what, what in, they should have done with that, yes, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't end up doing. Which is like they bring in Adrian Clem to interview for the offensive coordinator spot, and it's really like, okay, let's get this guy in, and maybe, and it opens the door for him to then join as the offensive line coach. So, something like this, this also, uh, you know, they have to check off the Rooney rule for all these hires. This does that, so potentially. You just get him in. You'd imagine he already has a relationship with Mayo from his time at BC. That's a place, you know, the New England staff is up there uh, a good amount of time, so they have familiarity with each other. But uh, just get him in and see what the pass could potentially be. If Steve or Demarcus Covington, you know, go elsewhere, that rolls open, or maybe just get him in here 
as a linebackers coach, as you just said, because you're going to need him. But I would say it, it's encouraging that they're going outside kind of the tree, right? We said there's some familiarity with the Greg Schiano, but like this isn't a guy who's coached in New England and has just been groomed under Bill Belichick his entire career. So that was, and we'll talk about the special teams guy here in a second, but that was one of the encouraging updates I thought from the weekend is Mayo's kind of, you know, casting his net here and willing to open things up a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's see the offense side of the ball. I'm not, not to, you know, put anything against the Cabo or anything against what we've heard over there. I'm not saying any of it's bad. I just, I'm not too worried about the defense side of the ball. They're going to get that figured out. I, I don't really think that you know, I trust that everybody they're interviewing is qualified. What are they doing on the offensive side of the ball? That's what I want to see. And there was the report that Josh McDaniels, there's some interest in maybe him returning. What I would say about that, so the interviews are different, but Josh McDaniels, Stephen Brian Belichick, the reports were that the Patriots may want them. Do they want the Patriots? Or are they going to ultimately go with Bill or is there going to be a bidding war there? Like the, these kind of interviews, I think, make a ton of sense, but they're I don't think that they're the focus right now, right? Or I don't think they should be the focus. That's not saying they can't do them. They do need to do them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, let's, that's the thing to your point, to your original point, right? About it was encouraging to see this over the weekend. Like it's good to see, but I'm still waiting before I get all excited. I'm still waiting on the offensive coaching staff. Well, there was that report. I believe, was it Reese or Breer who had it that there will be a wide open? Search. I believe it was Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated yeah. who had this part. Uh, wide open search for the next offensive coordinator. We know Bill O'Brien is under contract still. Does he want to come back after kind of the dumpster fire that was last year? And how does Gerard Mayo think about him? That will be kind of the first decision they have to make. And then it looks like they're going to really open this thing up for an offensive coordinator search, which is what we wanted to see, what we kind of wanted to see even at the head coach, just to gather more intel around the league and, and maybe try to find one of these next up-and-coming offensive guys to pair with maybe your first-round pick at, at quarterback there. So kind of playing into that going outside, looks like maybe they might be doing that at offensive coordinator. And, you know, Nick Cayley's name was thrown out there, who, went, who was obviously here, got passed over for the offensive coordinator spot for Matt Patricia last year stayed as tight ends coach and then left to go coach tight ends in LA with Sean McVay. So he's got that experience now in that McVay Rams tree, uh, Zach Robinson, who's also been groomed under McVay draft pick here paired with Mayo. So those were, were some names we can get in some other names, but looks like maybe they will. We haven't got any firm interviews or reports, but looks like they may also be going out outside the organization if Bill O'Brien decides to move on or they decide to move on from Bill O'Brien for this next offensive coordinator spot, which probably is Gerard Mayo's most important hire at, at this right. point. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Any other, I know we talked names a lot, but any other names from over the weekend that maybe is new on your list or? I mean, not from over the weekend. I'd still love to find a way to get one of those guys from Houston, whether it's, um, is it Jerron Johnson, the quarterback's coach? Uh, ben or McDaniels. Just ben McDaniels. Too much sense almost. You know, if you can't get Josh McDaniels, you get Ben McDaniels, that. right? Um, Gerard Johnson, not Jerron. Gerard Johnson. Uh, two R's, though, not like Gerard Mayo. Um, still like those guys. I, I know some people have kind of brought up uh, Zach Robinson. Wouldn't entirely be opposed to him. 
it's the same names we've been talking about. Same names we talked about last year. There's a reason I liked those guys last year, and I'm still going to like them now. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything super new that came up. The one interesting one is uh, if if Mike McCarthy becomes available, do you bring him in as, a, as an offensive coordinator? He has, obviously, the head coaching experience uh, that, you know, you pair with the first-time head coach in Gerard Mayo. He has run some successful offenses. Granted, he did it with Aaron Rodgers, but... You know, going back before Aaron Rodgers, he he had the role with the Saints kind of in the early 2000s. They had some good offenses there. Was, you know, a quarterback's coach for a lot of years, a guy that knows how to work with quarterbacks. I, I need to sleep on this one. I had the thought, and I haven't really flushed out how I feel about it yet, but he would – we talked about Frank Reich, I think, on the last show, right, yeah. about him potentially being an offense corner. I mean, if you're in on Frank Reich, Mike McCarthy's kind of the supercharged version of that. Now, obviously, he comes with baggage – Dallas has been an absolute train wreck the last few years under him. But look, he's not going to, here's what I'd say. And again, I'm not sure if I want it or not. I, I'm kind of just having this take in real time. You're bringing him in as a coordinator, not as a head coach. And that's a big difference. There's a lot of guys that are really good coordinators that are just not meant to be head coaches. And McCarthy might fit in that category. Yep. Would be interesting because, Looks like he might be on the way out there of Dallas after that. Should uh, be. I yeah. can't believe he still has a job right now. After that, well, I thought it would be first thing Monday morning. And we're, right. we're halfway through Tuesday here, and he's still going. But uh, this is an interesting one Ben brings up in the chat. O-line coach, because it, it looks like Adrian Clem probably isn't coming back here uh, next year and that's such a big part to this puzzle the offensive line coach because they've gone through so many the last few years since Skarnacki retired and it's obviously been a weak point of, of that offense but is this like we got to see who the offensive coordinator is first or then he's probably going to have his own connections or or what are you thinking you know, I know we all like Carmen Brasillo but he went to join Brian Dable right. there in New York from Vegas so is this just like we need we need the offensive coordinator first and then these things are going to start filling in or where are you kind of at with, with that old line coach there? Yeah. I mean, you, you want somebody who the offensive coordinator is comfortable working with, which again, you go back to Houston, Gerard Johnson or Ben McDaniels, the assistant offensive line coach there, there's offensive line coach, a guy named James Strouser, their assistant offensive line coach is Cole Popovich. Huh? Who was with go. now he didn't leave the Patriots under the best terms, Yeah, but it's a, <laughs> new you know it's four years later five years later who's to say so it that's just one example where you know tell me who the oc is and, and then we can get into the offensive line coach thing i, I don't think you want to fill out the staff and then hire your coordinator that's just backwards yeah but they uh, do they, it does sound like they're going to need like i do think we will have that conversation they probably yeah. will have another need to have a new offensive line coach i don't think adrian clem's going to be back but it's kind of like you cross that bridge when you come to it sort of thing. We we're a little ahead of ourselves with that right now. Yep. Popovich would be an interesting one because it wasn't a clean ending, but yeah, Bill's gone. So I don't know the relationships there with the rest of the guys on the staff. He's got who, who uh, Jake Andrews. He coached up yeah. at Troy. So maybe a name to watch if they go out and recruit one of those uh, Houston, uh, Houston guys to be the OC, but uh, the other bit of news on the coaching staff we had was we might finally be getting a makeover on the special teams department because they requested an interview with Falcon special teams coordinator Marquise Williams. We don't know 
if they're going to accept that request or because the Falcons did deny Williams a chance to interview with the Giants for a similar position uh, last week. So we'll see how that goes. But we all know the special teams unit here has been a mess for the last few years. With Cam Accord leading that, we thought it'd get better with Joe Judge back in that mix this year. It didn't really. They were still ranked near the bottom in the special team. So another kind of encouraging sign here that they're going out looking at special teams help. And Marquise Williams, a guy who no like direct Patriots ties again, but you know he worked under Matt Patricia in Detroit for two years. He led the Shrine Bowl against New England staff last year. So another guy they have some familiarity with, but another kind of external guy and someone you need to kind of remake the special teams group yeah atlanta special teams is really good in 22 i think they're fifth in the league in dvoa that number came down a little bit last year they did deal with a number of injuries on in that phase of the game on uh, i think the the, the the falcons turned down williams request i think it was a week ago right a week or two ago mm. so different circumstances i wonder if you know if they are interested in bill bills bills bringing joe judge and that's really what this tells us is Joe Judge, um, Cam Accord, Joe Houston, probably out. Maybe Joe Houston says he's like an assistant. I don't know. But like the other two, probably out. You figure they follow Bill to Atlanta. Obviously, Marquise Williams not going to have a role there. So Falcons, I feel like, kind of have to let him interview. One thing he does well is gets – how do I put this? So, all right. The, the Patriots dedicated seven spots to special teams only players this year. Brendan Schooler, Chris Board, Matthew Slater, like that group, right? The Falcons get a lot. They have a lot of guys that are primarily special teams players, but they're also depth players yep. on whatever side of the ball. So, like, I say, like a Brandon Bolden type, where is mostly going to play special teams, but you need him to fill in on offense or defense. He can do it. You're not going to start him over there, but he can do it. The Falcons, you know, guys like Nate Landman, um, guys like what's his name? They had the, uh, the lacrosse player from Ferris State, whose name I'm blanking on, but they had him there a little bit. Uh, the Falcons have been good with that the last couple of years, getting special teams contributions from guys who aren't core special teamers. I think a lot of people around here would like that. I think a lot of people around here would be very happy about that. And I've been somebody who's defended the signing of a couple of special, pro, like, you know, coverage specialist guys. And I think there's a role for one or two of those guys. Seven's a lot. Seven's too many. Yeah. Seven's too many. And if you have somebody like Williams who can maybe take a guy like, uh, you know, this isn't a great example. Like Marte Mapu didn't play a lot on defense this year, right? A guy like that. Or, um, you know, a guy like uh, Kevin Harris was on the roster last couple weeks. He didn't play a lot of running back, right? Take guys like that and find roles from on special teams. I think there's some value in that. So I'm not going to say sit here and say I'm an expert on Marquise Williams, but if he yeah. can get more out of the non-specialists on special teams, I think that's definitely a, an attractive quality. Yeah. Create some roster spots elsewhere, right. depth and other other positions. So yeah, that, that would be interesting. Then we'll see if he can fi fix the kicker. Yeah, <laughs> he can. He fixed. Uh, did he fix Yunho Ku? Because Yunho Ku was bad his rookie year. Now he's you know, but that might have been uh, kind of after. Yeah, that was before. And also, I think Young Wei Ku is just good. Yeah. He might just be good. Well, Chad Ryland could still be good. We're not pushing that off the table yet, but. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see with that special teams crew, but, um, it, it is again, encouraging that we knew that was a unit they needed to kind of revamp and kind of fix after a few really bad years. And that was an encouraging sign to see them on their to-do list early, early on there. But 
uh, I believe, you know, that was most of the stuff from the coaching world starting, get some of these interviews started and put together anything, anything we miss there. Or? Um, I mean, I, I assume we're going to do bills separate. So I think that was pretty much it. There's been so much just getting shot yeah. out there this weekend. It was I feel fun. like I feel like every day now I'm writing a column that's like there were 30 reports today. Here's what I make of all of them put together. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like because I can't just write on each one. It's too much to keep up with. I know it's been pretty crazy. But um, let's take a quick break very quickly, and we can start to get into some of all those GM reports after we hear from FanDuel. The NFL season is wrapping up. Why? There is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, pick a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, so transitioning to the front office because this is where stuff really got crazy. It looked like right. we heard a lot from Ian Rappaport last week that they might accelerate into this GM search pretty quickly. You got all those names that we knew, Dave Ziegler's, the John Robinsons of the world, and then... Saturday, Adam Schefter, I believe it was on ESPN Countdown before the playoff games, he, he got on and said they're going to take this kind of slow with their GM search. They might push it off till after the draft, and then they might not even hire one at all. And everyone kind of rightfully lost lost their minds at first. And then Mike Reese, in his Sunday notes, he added some more information. He said, you know, they've never the Crafts have never really had a GM here in, in the first place. They're might just bring someone in to kind of oversee personnel and work with Gerard Mayo. It looks like that guy might be Elliot Wolf, but it really looks like they're keeping this scouting department, what they have with Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh in place. They're going to work with Gerard Mayo. 
and, and that's that's really how they're just going to kind of move forward with this thing. That's how I kind of read it. I don't know. Is that how you read it? Or what's your kind of view on this this whole front office mess going on right now? Yeah, again, I would have gone external. I would have hired a real GM. It's what I would have done. Uh, you know, we talked about all those candidates last week. Adam Peters was obviously top of that list. He's now gone. Uh, Trey Brown in Cincinnati was another guy I think we both really liked as a, a prior relationship with Mayo. But the they're 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 sticking in house. That's what it seems like. So, you know, I, I'll say my part there. I would have gone external GM. I Brian, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you if you want to say the same <laughs> thing. But I don't think we need to waste a bunch of time lamenting them not doing that. I just that's not the kind of show we do. I'm not super interested in that. So that and I'll, if you agree with me, like I'll, you can put the caveat on it all now. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I so external. that all being said, so don't come in the comments and saying we're making excuses for the team and carrying water for the crafts and all of that. Like this is just, this is the show we do. We both think they should have gone external. They didn't. We're not going to waste time complaining about them not doing it. We're going to move forward with the setup at hand. So that all being said. I'm curious. There was reporting from Albert Breer over the weekend about how some of the Patriots draft troubles towards the end. And there have been whispers of this in the past yep. that Bill was kind of overruling his scouts. The scouts wanted Debo Samuel or AJ Brown. He took Nikhil Harry and there's a couple Isaiah Wynn was suggested as another player that maybe fit that description. Who he was overruling, we don't know. And it was reported that some of those guys left. So maybe these guys aren't in the building. But but Grow was on the scouting staff at that time. Grow was on the scouting staff, I think, I believe, starting in 2016. Wolf hasn't been here that long. But Matt Grow started, yes, as a scouting assistant in 2011, became a national scout in 2019, was the director of college scouting in 2021. So he was high up when a lot of those picks were being made. And he would have been one of these guys that maybe Bill should have listened to. I know everybody loves to make like like loves to pick on Matt Grow, and he's talking to taking a ton of heat for the way the roster currently exists. And I'm not saying some of that isn't warranted; it is. But we're gonna if if it really was Bill overruling everybody, and you know, Grow really would have gone in other directions with some of these, and he kind of had the 22 draft strategy forced on him by Bill and Patricia, and and maybe Bill was overruling on some of those other picks. Well, now Matt Grow has a chance to prove it. Now Matt Grow has a chance to prove that he would have run things differently. And there are some quotes. If you go back, what makes this so tough on Grow, on, on Wolf, on Cameron Williams, who's also in this discussion, Steve Cargyle, they don't speak to the media. We yeah. just kind of have no way of knowing what their philosophies are because they've been under Bill, who had final say, and they don't talk about anything. Grow has spoken to the media a couple of times. So he's really the only guy we can go on with this. And if you go back, he did an interview with the former host of the show, Evan Lazar. He did that on Patriots.com last spring. And he also spoke to the media last summer at training camp. In those two instances, he goes into depth about the wide receiver position. And when he talked to Evan, he talked about an aggressiveness to pursue those top wide receivers that you can't just sit and wait for a top wide receiver to come to you, whether it's a high draft pick, whether it's significant salary cap allocation, you need to be aggressive in going out and getting a top wide receiver. He then over the summer was asked to define a number one wide receiver. And the player he described was not a player. The Patriots have 
He also talked about being invested in getting DeAndre Hopkins, which obviously fell through. So the question, and by the way, I wrote about all this on 98.5thesportsup.com. I put a column up on it this morning. This isn't all to excuse Matt Groh and say, oh, he wanted a wide receiver and Bill didn't. And it's on Bill. No, no, no. That's not what this is. What this is, is we have quotes from Matt Groh where he says he understands the importance of the wide, the importance of the wide receiver position in the modern game. Put up or shut up. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Right. Bill's not there anymore to have final say. And we don't know who has final say. It might be girl. It might be Wolf. And maybe Wolf feels completely differently about wide receivers. And hopefully we get to talk to him before the draft so we can kind of pick his brain on that. But there is somebody high up in there now without building the way saying, again, I'll read you the quote here from Matt Crow. This was to Evan Lazar last year. With any of these positions, certainly at a playmaker position, read that as wide receiver, there's a price you have to pay for these guys. Whether that's allocating cap space or allocating high draft pick to be aggressive, if you want to have those dynamic playmakers, you need to pay the price for them. Obviously, the Patriots never did that. If Groh's in charge, he clearly knows what it takes to get it done, and he clearly knows how to recognize those top playmakers. And I would say even of the guys the Patriots have brought in, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Tyquan Thornton, those guys, even the optimistic projections did not fit the description of what Matt Groh defines a number one wide receiver to be, which he talked about it over the summer saying, we define a number one wide receiver uh, who's a three down guy, a player who's got inside out, outside inside versatility, a player who can go out there and get open on his own, get open, catch the ball, gain yards after the catch. So basically when we were red in the face about last summer, a coverage dictating receiver, the Tuesday meeting guy. That's what Gro explained. So he knows what that guy is. He knows clearly what that guy is. And he knows he's got to be aggressive to get him. He said all that. Again, don't talk about it, be about it. So that, when it gets to front office, to me is really interesting, is there's clearly people in there that don't sound 100% bought in on the way the Patriots manage their offensive personnel staff. I talked to Evan, by the way, on 98.5 over the weekend. He told me something else Grove told him in that interview that didn't make it to print was the importance of building around a quarterback on a rookie contract, which obviously the Patriots didn't do. Didn't go so well. <laughs> here's somebody who's now right there, either is going to be one or two in the front office, talking about all the things we've been read in the face saying the Patriots need to do. Was that lip service or was it real? We're going to find out because one way or the other, we're bringing these quotes back at the end of the off season and saying, did Matt grow live up to what he said a year ago? One where I, I hope we're saying, I, I hope I get to take a victory lap on this and say, yeah. I told, look at say, I dug these quotes out. I told you to have some faith in Matt grow, but also if I have to come back on and say, Matt grow said all this and didn't follow up, I'll absolutely do that too. Sorry. That was kind of a whole thing, Brian. <laughs> no, it's good. And I think he also, before the draft, didn't he speak on like Zay Flowers? He went to BC a lot, so he was involved in Zay Flowers. Yeah, he talked. Had... He talked specifically about that wide receiver class, yeah. and um, he did talk about Zay, but he also talked about the depth. Um, you're right; he did do that. Uh, you have um, he did do that again. We don't talk to these guys, you know, so it's tough. But you look at a guy like Cam Williams, kind of this new. He's a younger guy, new age, like Ohio State, who just breeds wide receivers. You think he? I don't know any good wide receivers from Ohio State in, in this draft. You might think Cam Williams kind of on that path too. So the the comments are encouraging. I get that Grow gets a lot of heat. Deserve like some of them might be deserved based off these last few drafts. But 
how much of that was Bill really pulling the trigger and those comments might suggest otherwise. And even look at the man who used to be above grow, Dave Ziegler, he gets his own own job and the first thing he does is go and acquires Devonte Adams, right? So maybe right. grows kind of on that same same path here, but I think the big kind of maybe big picture thing from all these reports we were hearing is the crafts just kind of looked at this and just said this is Bill's this was all Bill's fault, right? It was that kind of so, the thing you got because they're just going to they took Bill out of the equation and now they're just going to let all these guys who are in the personnel department run this. They have Mayo doing the coaching staff. It kind of just seems like they were acting like this last few years was Bill's fault. We're just going to remove him and maybe it'll be better. I'd phrase that a little differently. I I think it's one of two things. I wouldn't say that they think it's Bill's fault. I would say Bill was set up to be the fall guy because they needed a massive fall guy. They couldn't get rid of Matt Grow. They couldn't get rid of Elliot Wolf and say the problem's been fixed. They couldn't, they, they could, like, it wouldn't work. Everybody, well, Bill's still here. Bill's still his final say. I, so for better or worse, I think option one is Bill's the fall guy. The other one, and I know this isn't super popular, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Is there a chance that it was Bill that initiated the departure, not the Krauss? And I know Tom Curran reported that Bill was done back, you know, after the Germany game. There's all this reporting that the Krauss made it ready to move on from Bill. And I'm not saying any of that was essentially false. But is there a chance that Bill looked at this, said, I got to get to Shula. I don't want to spend five years doing it. This team's now too far away. It's too far gone. I got to get out of here and go somewhere where I can win 10 games a year. And the crafts weren't necessarily upset about parting ways, but they believed in the system they had in place. And they're trying to keep as much of that system in place as possible. Now there's risk in that. We talked about this when the Herald report came out trying to run Dante Scarnecchia's system without Dante Scarnecchia, that's great. You might have 90% of it the same, but if it's the 10% of it that's different, you're screwed. Trying to run the Brady offense without Tom Brady, that's fine. It's a great offense, but if you don't have Tom Brady, it doesn't work. Does the Bill Belichick system still work without Bill Belichick? I know that kind of sounds like a ridiculous question, but that's essentially what the crafts are betting on, is that they can run the Belichick system, they can recapture the magic of the Belichick system without Belichick. Why would you do that? You wouldn't necessarily do that if you didn't believe in them. Yeah. Again, I I know it. I, I don't even necessarily agree that that's the case. I still think maybe it's just they're going with what's familiar because that's what they believe in. But part of me just keeps coming back to if you're going to keep, like usually when teams keep everything the same like this, it's because the coach got away that they didn't want to like get away. So... It's not, again, it's not to say any of the reporting that the crafts are ready to get rid of Bill. It's not saying any of that wasn't true. I just, you know, everybody was saying, oh, Bill got fired and they called it a mutual parting ways to be nice. If it wasn't mutual, it's probably mutual adjacent. I'm not saying it was all lovey-dovey hugs and kisses on the way out the door like it was originally written, right? What, what, what was it on ESPN? Amicably, mutually, mutually. Amicably, yeah, first class, goodbye. Like, there might have been some pounding on the table as no. they were no mutual agreement is ever like that easy going. You okay, Brian? How's, how's, how's your love life? You say something like that. You uh, all right. <laughs> I'm good. That at the top of your head. Um, no, I'm just messing with you. No, I'm saying that, that, you know, was there, was there some yelling and shouting maybe as the strings were being untangled? Yeah, I'm sure there was the Patriots owed craft. Uh, the Patriots owed Bill a lot of money. Bill has friends on the staff that I'm sure the crafts would like to keep. 
there's, you know, you work together 24 years. It's, it's so entangled. But at the same time, who started untangling the strings? Whose idea was it to untangle the strings? That part could have been mutual. They both could have looked at it and said, all right, we got to figure out how to break this thing up because it's nope. not working. Like, I'm not super convinced that Bill had to be like dragged out of there kicking and screaming. I That might not have been the case. Yep. Yeah, it's an interesting point because we talked uh, when it first happened, like the timelines don't match up, right? If he wants to go somewhere, right. try to get accelerate this process to, to break the record, you might think he was trying to lay the groundwork uh, to kind of get out of there. But uh, very quickly back to Grow and Elliot Wolf, do you think it's important that at some point along this process here, it's established that someone or maybe it's even Mayo, that someone has final say. And it doesn't have to be as powerful as, you know, Bill Belichick's final say. It looks like they're definitely going to this more collaborative approach. But do you think there needs to be something where, you know, there's 30 seconds left on the draft card and we're all still kind of battling over this? Does someone need to to have a little more power in there and people know who that is to have yes. that quote-unquote final say? Yes, uh, collaborative approach is BS. Yeah. And and it can be, that's a little harsh. It can be collaborative up to a point. You know, putting the draft board together can be a collaborative approach. But to your point, clock's ticking down. Call it, because the Patriots don't keep a lot of people in their draft room. Let's let's call it uh, seven people in the draft room. Three people want Marvin Harrison Jr. Three people want Jane Daniels. Or, or it doesn't work in my number. It's 10 people in the draft room. <laughs> Five people want Marvin Harrison Jr. Five people want Jane Daniels. Who decides? Who ultimately says, nope, we're doing this because I said it was. And that's not something that I think happens. You don't wait and let it play out. And, oh, somebody will develop final say. No, that's something that needs to be decided by the crafts uh, soon. It needs to decide, be decided by the crafts, you know, before you get to, because that's on everything. That's not just the drafts. That's signing, re-signing internal free agents, which should be starting now. Like they should be negotiating with these guys starting now. This is the big unknown of all of this. Will it be grow? The reporting seems to suggest it'll be Wolf. The weird thing about that is Wolf's the director of college scouting. He's technically like under Grow right now. Right. And Grow's the, the personnel director. So are you promoting Wolf over Grow? You're essentially would be demoting Grow because yeah. anything over director of player personnel is GM. So you either make a Elliot Wolf GM or you demote or fire Matt Grow. So either way, something weird has to happen. <clears throat> uh, or, or Matt Grow has final say. Or Elliot Wolf has final say over his boss is essentially what that was. Or would I saw a lot of people saying like one might have final say in free agency or one and one might have it on the draft, no, which is also but you kind can't, of weird. That's bad. You can't. That should and and I had that thought. Maybe that is what they do. They shouldn't, because everybody's got to be going in one direction. This is where that position that we talked about, Brian, that VP of football operations, yeah. that's the guy you have come down when there's you know five people in the room say Martin Harrison Jr. Five people in the room say Jane Daniels. You call Scott Pioli, have him come in from down the hall and say, Scott, what do we do? Like, that's where that position would be so helpful. And there was some reporting that that position may end up existing. And that position could end up becoming a thing because Gerard Mayo is still talking to front office candidates around the league. And high, it's at high level front office candidates. They're not coming here to work for Macro or Elliot Wolf. They're just not doing that. So, and, and if they're not going to come here to be GM, the reporting says there'll be no GM, then maybe that's what the role is. I do want to address this. I, I don't want to, but I want to. Uh, I don't know where the hell this was, came from. 
I was literally just debating, do I bring that comment up? That, that Jonathan Kraft is taking over and uh, the other the, the other woman who works for the Kraft, whose name I can't remember, Robin something. There was like one little thing in one report that they've become more interested in football ops. And I'm not saying that that's fine. Like you don't want the owners meddling. It turning into Rob, Jonathan Kraft runs the, the football operations from the Patriots is so monumentally asinine. I think it bred from, didn't it breed from people thinking like the Crafts got more involved in the football operations by bringing in Bill O'Brien and people think Jonathan is pushing Robert to make those decisions. And now we get to Jonathan wants to basically be Jerry Jones and be running the team from a football operation standpoint. So we've talked about this one. This is a big fork in the road for the Crafts. They got more involved the last couple of years. There's some argument that they maybe needed to Bill Belichick wanted to bring back Matt Patricia. Right. But now that Bill's gone, they need to go back to what worked for 20 years and go back upstairs and let the football people run the football team. That's what they should do. If they don't, it's a mistake. But you're never going to see a world that's just not the way anything, the way these guys are wired and the way these guys think. If Jonathan Kraft walked into the draft room and said draft player X, he would get laughed out of the room. Like they would quit. That's Jonathan Kraft will not have, will he have an input? Yeah, he might. There might be more of an input from ownership now than there was in the past. I'm not ruling that out, but Jonathan Kraft is not going to have final say over the Patriots football decisions. That's just not how it's structurally set up. And uh, Curran came out and reported that too. He right. said he does not want to have any football operations responsibility. So I know that was like the hot topic of the weekend, but uh, yeah, I just, um, I, I don't see that one happening. If we get if if we get reporting that Jonathan Kraft's in the draft for making decisions, I'll gladly backtrack and I'll rip him for it because it would be stupid of him to do that. He, <clears throat> these guys are nose to the grindstone every day scouting prospects. I can't imagine Jonathan Kraft's doing that. If he is, all the power to him, I guess. I mean, Robert was asked, and I know Robert Jonathan, but like Robert was asked in the press conference the other day, like, why did your football team on the field fall apart? And he's like, I don't know. I'm I, not qualified i'm not smart enough to make that decision right so these guys shouldn't be handling it's i will say it is the owner's job to say maybe to bill bringing that patricia back probably isn't the smartest thing right? right that's a job of an owner to step in and say like that's not smart for our franchise and our organization getting involved picking players schemes or, or or whatever that's not their job those need to go to the macros and the elliot wolves of the world right exactly yeah and it's just i don't know i i i there's a lot of animosity in the fan base now towards the crafts because yeah. they are seen as having two people conspire to push bill out the door apparently the crafts and the media uh i i don't want to get into the layers of <laughs> what i think is driving some of that conversation because that's not what we do on the show but I understand why people are frustrated. I are. I, I do. At a certain point, you need to move forward. And like, there is still a football team that exists post Bill Belichick. And there are ways to win afterwards. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be immediate, but being a Patriots fan can't just be holding utter, you know, un, uh, uh, unbroiled animosity towards the crafts. End of list. We, we can't be that fan base. We're so much better than that. I really don't want to see Patriots fans become that. That That's what the Washington commanders are. I have no interest in, in being that. Yep. Yep. Uh, I agree with you there. But 
I believe that's uh, most of the GM, or again, lack there of GM and the personnel department, all that news and reports from over the weekend. So let's take one more quick break, and then we can wrap it up with some of the other news that broke over the weekend. But before we do that, let's hear from our friends over at LinkedIn. Brought to you by LinkedIn Talent Solutions. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. You can check out LinkedIn Jobs. Again, over a billion qualified candidates and they'll help you find the right person for your team like that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in deserving quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat. That's linkedin.com slash beat, B-E-A-T, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we'll wrap up with a few pieces of other news from the weekend, starting with Bill Belichick. It came out last night that he is officially in this coaching carousel as he is interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons, a team we kind of knew were looking at him for a, for a while now, had interested in him. Looks like maybe he was on Arthur Smith's super yacht over the weekend or, or whatever it was, but uh, he takes his first job interview. It was kind of like still surreal watching that tweet come out last night with Bill Belichick in front of the I mean, Ryan, hang on. I'm going to do something rare. I'm going to flip us because I got a point. Look at this. Not my name under it. Like Bill next to the Falcons. Look, that looks so weird. It's weird. That looks so weird. Weirder than me on the left, you on the right. Anyway, (laughs) continue. Not that. That was pretty much it. It was just a Weird setup, weird seeing that kind of unfold, but we expected the Falcons to have some interest in him. Uh, Good roster, but they need a quarterback, and now he officially interviews for that job. Yeah, look, I think of the non-playoff teams, it's the best opening for them, certainly. Uh, The roster's pretty much ready to go. They need a quarterback that's no small feat to add a quarterback, but they got a lot of good talent. Uh, at the skill positions, they got a good offensive line. They, they've built a great secondary. The front's, you know, still kind of a work in progress, but has gotten better. And that's obviously a spot we know Bill Belichick can maximize. Owner that that seems willing to spend easy division. Like you look at it, if he's really trying to catch Shula, you're playing the NFC South. I mean, the Panthers are still going to be ass, right? The, they won. This- they won seven games with Desmond Ritter this year. And right. Smith, so the, like <laughs> the saints are probably going to get worse before they get better. Bucks might be decent, but even still you sweep the saints, you sweep the, the, the Panthers, you split with the bucks. That's five wins. Boom. That's that's, you know, in two years, that's 10 wins. It's more than half the wins he needs to get to Shula. So I, I think playing in a division like that, you certainly put weight on it. Yeah. I, I think Atlanta makes a ton of sense for him. Now let's see if Dallas or yeah. Philly, you know, if jobs open up there, then it becomes another story. Those teams are obviously further along, especially Dallas. But for the non-playoff teams, Atlanta makes a ton of sense. Ton of sense. 
They would also visit New England next year, or technically two yeah. years, 2025. Oh, 25, season, yeah, 25, yeah. Which, so Bill's second I mean, season would, would be his second season in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, depending how it goes, maybe he's hunting for the Shula record at that game. That would be... I mean, they would try to schedule it that way. If he comes in like... Seven games out. Like seven games whatever. out, they'll, they'll have them play like week eight or nine or something, yeah. yeah. Late in the year, so that's on the table. My first... One of my first thoughts was... Dallas Turner, Falcons, eighth overall. Just pencil that into all yes, your mock drafts because that's yes, sir. such a lock for what that roster kind of needs it and what Bill would like. So uh, that was kind of the big news uh, last night. They said no, obviously, contract was side, signed, but mutual, uh, mutual, whatever. They like each other and conversations are ongoing. But you assume Dallas and Philly with those rosters are, are still kind of – Kind of lurking there in the shadows for Billy B. But uh, some other news, if you want to take it to the draft, Caleb Williams officially declared, uh, kind of made everyone wait till the last moment there. He, he declared on deadline day. You'd assume he's still the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick, whether that's Chicago uh, moving on from Fields, which we can also talk about Justin Fields very quickly, but uh, moving on from Fields or a team trading up there to get Caleb Williams. And other college quarterback news, Michael Penix uh, was announced to be going to the Senior Bowl, who we all know you like. And I believe you're going to the Senior Bowl, too. So I'm not, actually. I'm, so plans change. We're going to the Combine instead of the Senior Bowl. Okay. But so. uh, we will at least get to watch Michael Penix against – I don't know if he'll, he'll play, but – I wouldn't be surprised if he does like what Zay Flowers did last year at the Shrine Bowl, where he just does one day. And then just and, uses it to interview with teams and maybe get right. Can can they do medicals down there too, or how does that? Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think to the level that they can do it at the combine, but they can do some brief medical workups. Yeah. So uh, that, that by the way, be... uh, a little breaking news: Mike Tomlin's staying with the Steelers. So okay, interesting. Or he told the team he plans on staying with the Steelers. So for whatever that's worth. After he walked off the podium yesterday, right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Michael Penix, it will be uh, good to watch him down there in Mobile. So uh, another good name to watch. It will be him and Bo Nix, kind of the top two names for those senior bowl rosters. But what do you think of going back to Caleb Williams and Justin Fields? It it would be big for the Patriots again if the Bears decide to keep Justin Fields because then it opens the door for one of those quarterbacks sliding down or maybe opens the door for the Patriots to trade up, even though that kind of seems unlikely. But the Bears announced they interviewed Greg Roman for their offensive coordinator spot last night. So I think we all thought immediately that looks maybe positive that they might kind of move forward with Justin Fields here. I mean, you're not hiring Greg Roman to draft Caleb Williams. If anything, you're you're, you're, you're drafting Jane Daniels with yeah. Greg Roman. But Greg Roman, so for those who don't know, he was the offensive coordinator for Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, and he was the offensive coordinator for most of Lamar Jackson's early career in Baltimore. He specializes in these mobile quarterbacks. Enter Justin Fields, right? This is, it makes so much sense. It, it makes so much sense to pair Justin Fields with Greg Roman if the decision is to keep Justin Fields. So maybe they just interviewed him to kind of hear his pitch on what he would do with Fields. Maybe that doesn't mean that's their plan. But yeah, if they hire Greg Roman, I I, I would be pretty convinced to lock it in that, that the Bears are sticking with uh, Justin Fields. Now that, doesn't mean that Caleb Williams doesn't go one, one. Like my guess would be then they're trading out of that pick to add assets, to build more around Justin Fields. 
I still think the goal, uh, you know, the best case scenario for the Patriots is Washington trades up from one to two. Yep. They get the quarterback. Bears trade down to two, get Marvin Harrison, and you're sitting there at three getting the pick between Drake May and Jane Daniels. Maybe the Patriots move up to one. Like, that probably hasn't been discussed enough. Because three to one, decent size undertaking, Not it's not nine to one like the Panthers did last year. Still probably giving up a future first, but that's that might be it. I mean, there might be some day three picks, but you're not giving up like a DJ Moore kind of player or anything like that. So Justin Fields, so whatever way it works out, whatever permutation, Justin Fields staying with mm. the Bears is good for the Patriots. And whatever that does to the draft order beyond that. Yep. That's what we should be rooting for because if you can get – if it ends up that you either can trade up to one for Caleb Williams or you get your pick of the litter between Drake May and Jaden Daniels, then that's probably best case scenario at, at this point because uh, we all know they need need the quarterback. So if they can get one of the – they can get their choice almost, and that's that's the best way to go about this and see how that scouting department kind of feels about those guys. On, on this note, for the people who want to see the Patriots trade down for a quarterback from three, whether trade it's – down? Trade down for okay. whether, you know, people who say, oh, you know, it's too high to take Jane Daniels at three. It's not. But, oh, it's too high. To, you know, trade down to like seven, take Daniels there, and then, you you know, you get a lineman or, oh, just move down to like – you know, get like the, you know, trade with the Cardinals, get the fourth pick and then a pick in the teens. And then you take Joe Alt four and then you can take like, you know, JJ McCarthy uh, or, or Bo Nix uh, or Michael Penix, or which I still wouldn't be super excited about at that point. Um, right. Since the, since the NFL instituted the, the rookie contract scale rule. So it used to be, you just negotiated contracts with rookies outright now, right. It's those preset contracts. It's been that way since 2011. Do you know how many times a team has traded down on the first round and taken a quarterback? I, I ran these numbers earlier today. Once. There you go. <laughs> the Buffalo, and it, it's never happened in the top 10. The Buffalo Bills traded down from 8 to 16 in 2013 to take EJ Manuel. Do you wonder how many times it's happened in the modern era of the draft? So this is going back to 1994. It's happened six times. So before EJ Manuel, the last trade down, or sorry, five times. There was one in 2007 where the Eagles traded from 26 to 36 and took Kevin Cobb. The last time before EJ Manuel, when a team traded down to take a quarterback, was 2003, when the Bears traded down to take Rex Grossman. But they got two firsts, so keep that in mind. Before that, Patrick Ramsey, Cade McNown, and look, Kerry Collins isn't bad. We're going back to 1995, the last time a team got a decent quarterback trading down in the first round. The only problem is, Carolina Panthers traded down from one to five to draft Kerry Collins. You know who went third that year? Steve McNair. Okay. <laughs> we're not talking. I know. I, I know this is like loosely related to what we were talking about, but I just want to bring this up. Not you're not trained down for quarterback. You like your quarterback, you take him at three. Yeah. You don't like any of the quarterbacks, you don't take one. It feels like a trade down at this point will most likely be entertained if it's like offensive tackle or wide receiver. Right. You're looking at moving down a few spots for a Malik Neighbors or a Joe Alt or an Olu Fushan, or that seems like the path that, you know, you could follow the exact kind of blueprint that the Cardinals did and move back to 12. They went from three to 12 last year, and then they got a future first round pick. They got a bunch of assets, and then they used some of those assets to move back up to six, and they took Paris Johnson. So you could move around the draft board, snag Olu Fushanu at six. You have your tackle, you add a future first round pick, but... I agree with you. If you want a quarterback, 
if you identify a quarterback who's sitting there at three that you believe in that you think is the guy, you got to just you take him there. You can't risk losing him. And as the numbers say, moving back to to get him, that's rare and just usually doesn't end well in the first place. So, right. But, if you, yeah. if you believe in the guy, you take him. You don't you don't play games with it. You don't risk losing him, no matter how much you think you know the board. When the Chiefs moved up, I have it here exactly how far they moved up. Hang on, I have it on my list. Uh, when the Chiefs, this is what I spent all day doing. When the Chiefs move up, moved up in 2017 from 27 to 10 to take Patrick Mahomes. People not only said it was an overpay, they said they drafted Mahomes too high. They don't really say that anymore. I wonder why. If you draft the right guy, there's no price too high. There's no draft pick too high if you draft the right guy. If you draft the wrong guy, it doesn't matter if you took him at three, you took him at seven. He sucks. You don't have a quarterback. You're screwed anyway. Right. Other you, you take him at 15 and it doesn't work anyway. Right, exactly. Other positions you can game a little bit. Other positions, like obviously they did last year with Christian Gonzalez. It was great. That's they knew the board. They moved down. Gonzalez fell to him. You don't do that with quarterbacks. It's just, it's a different position there. I, I forget if I did that rant on this show or on another show, Brian, last week, there's two draft. There's really two drafts happening simultaneously. There's the quarterback draft or there's three. There's the quarterback draft. There's the kicker draft. And then there's everybody else. Like you take quarter, you take the quarterback when you need to take the quarterback. It doesn't matter what the rest of the board looks like. Everybody's going to game quarterbacks the way they want to quarterbacks who aren't first round talents go in the first round all the time just because the, the position is so valuable so you take the quarterback where you have you, you take the quarterback where you have the opportunity to take him you don't play games with it yep I, i'm glad you brought up christian gonzalez because that's exactly what i was going to say because i could already hear people say oh they did it last year they moved the boards or they did they treated the board so well or they moved down and they still knew their guy was going to be there it's just it's a different animal. It's a different beast at that quarterback position. If you believe in a guy, you just you can't take the risk. You have to just take him when when you're on the board and he's right there to you. So yeah, I agree with you. There's two or three different drafts with with that quarterback spot. It, it's just a different. It's just a different beast, and you have to treat it as such. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right. So unless you got anything else to wrap it up, we can kind of bring this one to an end where you will both be down at Gillette tomorrow at noon because Gerard Mayo will be officially introduced as the 15th head coach of the New England Patriots. I believe you can watch that live on Patriots.com. There will be a live stream. We'll obviously be back on Thursday, I believe, to break yeah, it down. Yeah, some point on Thursday. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to – or we'll be asking him plenty of questions about all this coaching searches and GM searches – I don't know if the crafts will take questions too during this, but they'll be there. So uh, we'll be back uh, on Thursday to break whatever happens down there at Gillette tomorrow down. So make sure you subscribe to the channel, turn on your notifications on YouTube. So you do know when we go live, you can also follow Alex on Twitter at real Alex Barth. Go read his work over at 985thesportshub.com. He'll have you covered from all things for tomorrow down at Gillette. And I will too at, my Twitter is I, at I am Brian Hines, and my work will be over at patspulpit.com. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in, and we will see you guys later this week.